Hello, dear listeners, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the 20th episode of my podcast, Fans About Films. I know it's strange that the 20th episode isn't a German one, but I've done so many English episodes on this show. It's so weird, it's so strange, and also I've done an awful lot of soundtrack-related episodes, which wasn't the plan at all at the beginning. But uh, what do you know, there are a lot of people who are interested in film music who want to talk to me and that's awesome and this guest you already know from uh from a past episode it's my dear and lovely friend from great britain mr ian crab how are you doing sir i'm very well and happy 20th episode oh thank you <laughs> and thank you for spending it on me and not a german episode so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was originally going to be the plan, but something came up. But you are, but but you're not like like something someone who like oh I I have to do someone so I I just call him no no <laughs> <laughs> no you you're a very dear friend and I love your show so it's always a pleasure to be asked on as a guest. I can only give that compliment back. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> so um, uh, our topic today, dear listeners, is going to be one that I proposed to Ian and that was going to be kind of like under the radar scores and soundtracks. And what I mean by that is scores that aren't really that big in the um, public conscience um, to, to to be like uh, widely loved by, by the masses. So it's not going to be something by like Hans Zimmer or Danny Elfman on here, but, but it's going to be like from from maybe like smaller films or films that maybe have uh, been forgotten a little bit over the years. But in my case, it's going to be um, German so scores and one French score because uh, those are uh, soundtracks which rarely ever do um, do get like um, a big a big uh, audience internationally so i wanted to uh, use this episode as a chance to uh, give this um the audience uh, these soundtracks deserve yes and um i have to say as well when uh, when you first suggested this to me i was i was completely on board but i totally got it wrong um because i i was saying to you about tracks like uh, jerry goldsmith and uh, and james horner and and then it suddenly uh, you sent me like 20 plus tracks and I was like, OK, well, there's really not anyone out there that doesn't know Jerry Goldsmith and James Horner or John Barry. So I better rethink my choices. And I've just chosen films that some people may have seen, but they probably even don't remember seeing them or they don't know the score that well. So that's what I've gone for. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. And I was totally happy with your choice because I know some of them, but not all of them. So um, uh, some of these were, were pretty new to me and one of them actually is brand new. So that's always a plus. Oh, OK. Also, <laughs> listeners of uh, Lasse's show, uh, we tried to keep these uh, choices secret to each other. Obviously, we had to send them the track so we could listen and, you know, make notes and have an opinion on them. But we don't know who's going to bring up what at what point <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> so um uh, since you're the guest i would like you to start what do you have for us 
Well, I think you should start because you've sent me an awful lot more music to listen to than I sent you. So, um. Oh, that's all right. All right. That's that's understandable. OK, so what I wanted to start with is um, the soundtrack for the 1999 um, French, German, Italian co-production Asterix and Obelix versus Caesar. I think that's the, um, uh, the right translation. Are you familiar with these characters at all? Oh yes, yes. I, I read the comic books growing up, and uh, there was an animated series as well, which I, I loved. So yes, I'm I'm very aware of the characters. I was not aware of this score though. Oh, that's awesome! So uh, this is um, a live action movie. It's the first live action adaptation of these characters, and I actually remember seeing it um, in in 1999 in the cinema because I was a big fan of um, of the comic books. And uh, this this movie adaptation um, featured a lot of prominent actors uh, uh, from uh, France, uh, Italy, and Germany, and um, it was a it was great big of fun. And at that point, it was the biggest um, CGI heavy movie from Europe, so um, it was pretty revolutionary in a lot of ways. And a lot of the um, effects uh, still still hold up in a very cartoony. Way and it is a, a, com, uh, a culmination of several of the comic albums, and in my opinion, it's also the strongest live-action adaptation um, of them. Am I right in thinking this is the one that had um, Gerard Depardieu in it? They all have Gerard Depardieu in them. <laughs> yeah, because it was Asterix and Obelix, wasn't it? Yeah, uh, exactly. But I think there are like four um, live-action adaptations at mm. this point. And um, there's also a 3D animated one, which I highly recommend. It's a lot of fun. But uh, this one was the first live action one, and it was the, the first time he played um, that character. He played Ob- Obelix, didn't he? Yes, Jared exactly. Deputy. And it was yeah. it was a perfect casting. They they yeah. they all uh, nailed um, the characters. And even though they um, interestingly um, kind of made it historically more accurate in the look like uh, they they don't look exactly like the like their um, drawn counterparts because they try to make them like like i said like they, they, they try to give them more uh, historically accurate costumes in a way but it really really works well the comic was so much fun because it was these two characters that were completely unlikely um, compadres as it were and, but that it was just it was it was almost a comedy book I, I thought anyway when I was growing up reading it yeah there are a lot of jokes in them um, there's not really anachronistic humor but it's like its own historic reality in a way even though they they feature historic characters and historic places and it's it's not really meant to be like a history book it's, it's meant to be a really fun version of history and that's why I love the comic so much Absolutely, yeah. And um, listen, well, why don't you tell the listeners about uh, the key you've chosen? Well, um, I think the, the most uh, prominent key, which actually features everything I love about the soundtrack, is like the, the, the title cue, Asterix and Obelix versus Caesar, Asterix Obelix gegen Caesar uh, uh, in German. And it's um, the soundtrack was composed by Jean-Jacques Goldman on, and Roland Romanelli, and uh, it captured my um, my attention right away as a kid. And I actually got the CD fairly late, but I always loved uh, watching the movie on TV and uh, listening to the music because it's it's just so wonderfully Celtic. <laughs>
Yes. <laughs> well, when I listen to it, I mean, it's obviously, it's quite medieval, isn't it, um, in tone? Yeah. But I, as soon as I listened to it, I thought, this sounds like something that would be playing in, like, King Arthur's chamber music, you know, room yeah. or something. You know, it's, it's an amazing string work in there. I mean, it's just such a great, fun track. Yeah, the string work is great. You have uh, bagpipes in there. Um you uh, you have uh, uh, like like uh, whistles. You have um, uh, k- kind of like uh, ancient horns in there. It's it's a it's a great mixture of uh, different instruments, and it really adds to the charm of the movie and the and them trying to make it kind of historically accurate. And it, uh, this theme plays throughout the score, and it's just. Yeah, it, 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 it has just this incredibly atmosphere and also this, this enjoyment. Yeah, it, it's totally good fun. I mean, I, I didn't know this score at all. I didn't even... I, I've only seen the first uh, live-action film, but I, I did read the comic books and I saw the uh, animated series and I, uh, what I really love about this is it's just got a great sense of, as I said, fun about it. It's just really good fun. I was yeah. a little bit confused by the bagpipes because... That's a Scottish in- instrument, and as far as I'm aware, this is a French tale that was translated into English. So I'm not entirely sure why the bagpipes are there, but it still works. Yeah, that's also kind of like a mistake John Powell made with How to Train Your Dragon, where he uses. Oh, that's back- true. Yes, that's very <laughs> he, true. Yeah, where he uses bagpipes, which are kind of historically inaccurate. But I think there was like a historic counterpart instrument uh, for 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 bagpipes, which which actually would be accurate but i think um the the, the instruments they are playing um are not so it's 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 kind of like you you have to let let it slide a little bit to to accept it in this reality in a way well absolutely i mean i mean uh, how to train your dragon i mean that's a viking culture so it's it's plausible that they would have you know they were going around and pillaging other countries and yes they probably went to celtic worlds and they have a sort of well everyone in how to train your dragon has a scottish accent so it kind of makes sense and so it makes sense as well for for asterix but it's really good fun i mean it the string work in this is just beautiful It's 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 really really wonderful and it's so uh, I I I want to say like it, it's so historically old fashioned like uh, scores like these you you hardly uh, hear anymore even in in movies which are which have a medieval setting because uh, more often than not they they go the the modern scoring approach but and maybe throw these kind of fiddles like in there like like I, th- I think the closest may, might be like I said the How to Train Your Dragon scores which. Uh, which also feature the, these kinds of strings. Yeah, especially on the um, on the, the track. Uh, sorry, going off, off topic here, but on uh, how to train your dragon, the track uh, test drive. Yes, I mean that's that's very heavily uh, bagpipe or or horn based and, and such. And uh, but it, it it makes sense and it works. 
Yeah, yeah, it, indeed, it, it really does. So, dear listeners, if you are at all interested in Visco, I don't think you can uh, find it on iTunes, but um, I, I think you can find uh, several uh, tracks on YouTube, maybe. Really, if you are a fan of this kind of music, like John Power wrote for the Dragon series, please, please listen to it. It's it's really, really great. It still holds up. And the movie, if you can uh, get your hand on it, it's really fun as well. Yeah, no, I've, I've said, I saw the first one and I love the animated series. I read the comic books and I thought it was it's just good. It's a good family fun film. Yeah, even though there are some like kind of like darker elements in it, which which are not in the comics, which really disturbed me as a kid. Like the, the one of the big final sequences when he's in the arena and there are all these different wild animals uh, which, which try to kill kill him like first uh, snakes and lions and then there's a crocodile pit and then later he has to walk through a pit of tarantulas yeah, and he has yeah. to fight an elephant <laughs> it's, it's so crazy and I really was scared in the cinema I remember I remember I started crying I was just uh, really really disturbed by uh, by this because this this kind of stuff wasn't <laughs> in the comics but yeah, and also like <laughs> most of the spiders, like like the CGI work in, in it, you can really see how how much effort they put into this production. Like it's it's really crazy. Oh, it's a huge production. Yeah, I mean the 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 production design, the costume design, the effects, everything. I mean it, it's it's more than you should really expect from a family film. Yeah, yeah, it, uh, exactly. Like uh, um, with with the exception of like. Uh, the uh, American animated family films, but yeah, especially from from Europe, th- that was really a big deal back then. And uh, as a candidate, we will talk later about, uh, will show it kind of comes back uh, this way. So uh, maybe you want to talk about one of your candidates now. No, I think you should you should carry on because I've <laughs> only got five and you've got like you've sent me like twenty. So <laughs> yeah, I, I think the ratio should be you going next again. So, so um, no problem. One other composer I really wanted to talk about is the composer Niki Reiser. He works for a lot of German productions, a lot of uh, children's films actually. And he's, he's a really, really great composer. I reviewed one of his scores, um, Heidi, which is from 2015. And uh, he wrote another score, which I um, sent you a few tracks of for, um, I think it's translated to The Little Ghost, which is um, a famous um, children's book by the author Ottfried Preussler. And um, his style um, really translates to his several projects. When you listen to... Um, the tracks I sent you. It has a very, very playful nature, and it's uh, it it's just sounds kind of mystical, mm. and uh, just just very cute. I really like the instrumentation on that. What what did you think about those tracks?
my question about this film, is it a rom-com? No, no, it isn't. It's a, it's a children's film about a little ghost which lives in a castle and only awakens like uh, from midnight to 1am and and oh, every everyone is, is asleep there and so, so uh, the, the ghost doesn't have anyone to talk to so uh, the little ghost um, changes um, all the clocks to figure out which one is, uh, is its personal clock to wake up like in the noon. And uh, then it, uh, it it gets into the sunlight and turns pitch black and um, kind of uh, like, I, I don't know how to describe this, it kind of accidentally terrorizes the town during the day. And uh, it's it's a really, really cute book and it's a very <laughs> cute German uh, German film. And um, it's also the effects work was, was really astounding for a German production and that because it really looks the texture on the ghost it really looks real it, it really looks quite astounding well obviously i'm i'm not familiar with the with the film but um listening to it i mean it's a short cue isn't it the one yeah. you sent me um but when i heard it i thought this sounds like it could be from a romantic comedy or a, yeah. a, a cute comedy or something like that um uh it, it is a short cue but it's loads of fun yeah it, it totally is it's you hear you kind of hear like the the clock ticking in there, which is a big theme in the movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You totally hear that. Yeah. And what what else uh, did uh, did catch your attention uh, in that? Um, well, I just like the the playfulness of it. I liked the fact that it, it was it was light. And at this point, dear listeners of Lassa's show, I should point out that when we were doing our research for this, um, I sent Lassa a text earlier today saying. I've just realised it. We're like night and day because all the things I've picked are really dark and heavy, and everything you sent me was really light and fun. So it's, <laughs> it's I, I, I can't even say it's like Batman and the Joker because they're both dark, but it's like I don't know, Superman and Zod or something like that. But just your mentality was so much more light and breezy and fun, and mine was like all. Oh, like 11 minute long cues <laughs> about in films about people basically destroying themselves so. <laughs> yeah yeah but also um also i sent you the, the explanation the reason is that uh, the, the german cinema really doesn't do genre films at all so most uh, films that come from our country are either like uh, comedies for all ages or for adults or mm. like like um, like family films, and um, mm. th- those are the two which are really really big. And um, yeah, but we don't really like Germany doesn't do like a zombie film or like a, I don't know like like thrill- Sometimes they they do something that that's kind of thriller like. Uh, during the last few years, they really spread out, and uh, it's it's going to be I think it's going to be a, a brighter future in that way that we will get um, a, a much more diverse. Um, uh, like a cinema here. <laughs> oh, I'm not. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I mean, oh, I, no, think no. It, I think it sounds wonderful. That's why I said to you. I think that's why people in Germany are just happier than people in Britain because we go, all we do in our film industry over here is we make either costume dramas or we make really depressing like uh, films about domestic abuse or something. So that's just what I've grown up with, unfortunately. Yeah, it's maybe maybe it's the weather's fault. <laughs> it's definitely the weather it might be Brexit, who knows <laughs> <It's> like... 
<laughs> yeah, during the last few years, really kind of like the British cinema really took kind of like a dark turn. I, I watched, like, I, I, I'm, I'm used to um, a lot of great British comedies and uh, also comedy series. But yeah, there, there have been a, a few uh, British movies lately. Like, um, uh, did you watch The Limehouse Golem? I really like that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, um, it's... <laughs> the Green Room. I mean, that was... Uh, it, it, we, we tend to make films that are very good, but they're depressing as hell. In a so. way, yeah. <laughs> even the, even the, even your comedies can be depressing sometimes. Yes, they can. <laughs> Especially when they're called um, the World's End or something like that. Especially when they're not funny. <laughs> oh, but I think a lot a lot of British films are really funny. Even those who are intended to be serious, they have this dark, this really dark comedic vibe um, in them. I, I do agree. I mean, you do have to obviously look for stuff but I mean you look at directors like Edgar Wright I mean Shaun of the Dead Hot Fuzz The World's End I mean he he takes comedy and he actually makes it interesting and he puts a bit of meaning into it but it's still funny whereas you can look at the films from uh, I don't know the early 90s like um, The Firm or something like that it, not the Tom Cruise one we did one over here called The Firm uh, it's all just very, very gritty and dour and depressing. So it, it's nice. I, I think we're on a bit of an upturn, but who knows? Oh, yeah. Yeah, who knows uh, exactly. And, uh, yeah, I sent you another track from, from a composer from the uh, mm -hmm. movie Heidi, which has been, uh, the book has been adapted countless times, also, like, in an anime series, uh, like a lot of a lot of different movie and uh, and TV versions on that, but this is the latest one from 2015, directed by Alain Spona, also by the same director, like like the Little Ghost, and um, he he brought his um, he brought his composer of choice back, and uh, the track I want uh, I sh I sent you were, was the track Marmots, I think. Yes, yes. You got that one, and yeah, it's, I've got uh, that one. Yeah, it's, it, it's 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 a very silly track, but it's so much fun. Yeah, it's 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 very also like it uses a lot of. Um, Uh, kind of like uh, old and also um, cultural appropriate um, instruments. Um, Am I right in saying there's a tuning fork in there? Tuning fork. You might be. You might be right there. Yeah. Um, I'm. I'm uh, currently uh, looking at the booklet. And, or or um, some sort of effect that sounds like a tuning fork, but there's just this noise that goes. Doo. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. It's. <laughs> it, it sounds great. It's, it's really. It's great. I loved it. Yeah. Yeah. It's really using, fun. They're using accordion. Uh, hammered Dolcema they're using there so it's um, it's it's a, it's a very very it's also a, kind of like an upbeat score but it also has its dramatic elements but I didn't send that to you as well it has also a sense of mystery because it's I don't know if you know the story at all but it's about a little girl uh, which is sent to its um, like to, to its uh, grandfather in the Alps um, with uh, to to live there I think after the death of her parents and um Uh, first, first he's grumpy and they don't really get along. But she is uh, curious and open-minded enough that he warms up to her. But then she gets taken away to like kind of like a rich aunt, which lives in, in mm. the city, and she really wants to go back. And she meets a few um, kids who become her friends. Um, also, like a, a wheelchair-bound um, 
girl, which is uh, which I think uh, belongs to the, the rich uh, family. It, it, it's a really cute story, and I, um, uh, we, uh, our whole family went to the movie. It was one day after we watched um, uh, The Force Awakens. And oh god! Okay, that's a, that's so, a bit of a juxtaposition. Yeah, isn't yeah. It? I, I went. I went with my brothers and, and some of their friends to the Force Awakens, and then um, the next day uh, we we met in the same city, and the whole family, including my my little brother, uh, yeah, we went just and, and and watched Heidi, and it was it was great to watch that one with a, with the whole family. Mm. Well, it sounds wonderful, actually. I mean, you don't get that sense of what that story is from the track you sent me. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's kind of because like a, it, it just, as I said, it sounds silly, but it's really fun. But then you don't think about a depressed girl making friends with a girl in a wheelchair and and wanting to run away and and stuff like that. So. Yeah, yeah, and it's also not not put, portrayed as, as depressing in the movie. It, it just just also has its serious elements, and it has a really lovely ending and a really lovely performances. And no matter what version you see, I, I, like I said, there have been countless adaptations of this book. Um, the most famous one is, is like this uh, a Japanese animated series um, which which was actually distributed in Germany so um, it that also has a very famous title song which is uh, obnoxiously catchy <laughs> <laughs> but but yeah this one uh, this one doesn't use it which I was really thankful for <laughs> I've never heard it called that before obnoxiously catchy <laughs> <laughs> it really is <laughs> You mean like an earworm, a, a song that is you don't particularly like, but you can't get out of your head? Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's just <laughs> it, it's it's really bright and poppy, and, and it, it sounds um, also culture appropriate. You know, you, you really see like some 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 um, Roman from the uh, Alpine area, you know, uh, singing it through the mountains, and it's I don't know, it's it's a really cute it's a really cute show and and all that stuff. But I really was thankful that they didn't use the song in the movie, which that really would have been distracting, even in the end credits. <laughs> <laughs> well, I I loved the track. I thought it was brilliant. You. So, um, should I continue, or maybe do you want to take a um, turn? I'll, I'll, I'll do one now. Yeah. Great. Okay. Um, and I'll start off. As I said, listeners, I'm I'm the dark, and Lassa is the uh, the light here. So let me start off with probably the most <laughs> lighter one I've got on my list, and uh, this is one I've actually mentioned on a previous show on on Sideshow, um, but it's the um, Carter Burwell score from The Hudsucker Proxy, which is a, a film directed by the Coen brothers and it's probably the most expensive film they've made and it was their biggest flop and yet it's the one I love the most um, it's a beautiful brilliant sort of almost 30s era sort of screwball comedy with Tim Robbins Jennifer Jason Lee Paul Newman it's it's wonderful but audiences hated it and for that reason I don't think many people will have heard the score as I said, I did bring it up on Sideshow before, but um, the track I've chosen is, um, well, if you look it up on YouTube, it's called Hudsucker Proxy 1. But if you actually get the album, it's called 
the Norville Suite. And it's magical, it's comedic, it's just exquisite and very emotional composing. It's one repeating motif. I mean, Ostomatos, but they all blend into different styles. And it's just, it is a long cue. It's over 10 minutes long, but it's one of my favorite cues of all time. And I don't think enough people have heard it, so I wanted to bring it up again. I've also seen the film um, like like last year, and I I I caught it on DVD, and I, I heard about it in a podcast. Not yours, sadly, but um, I, I it really caught my attention because I love uh, the, the work of the Coens, and um, I liked the movie. I thought it was quirky and fun, and also um, it has this exceptional score because I'm not the biggest Carter Burrow fan. He's always kind of like a little too dark and uh, cynical for me. Yeah, in a way. No, I, I totally I totally get that. Yeah, but th- th- this one, he's he, he's really gone for sort of like the fun, but then he also brings in the emotional moments. And I, I think in this particular queue, either called Hudsucker Proxy One or Norville Suite, it's got everything. It's got its comedy, it's screwball, and then it goes quite emotional. It's. It, I. I just think it's wonderful, and I think more people should hear it. Yeah, it really is. It really gives you a great um, uh, overview of um, of the whole, of all the themes of the movie and uh, what it's about. And I, uh, it, it really plays into the the, the character, um, uh, the, the main character, who's this. Like I, I really found him. Uh, I, I thought he was so incredibly naive, but in a uh, in, in a in a likable way. Like you know, for kids, it's <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, he's basically a, a man child, but he's got such good intentions. I mean, he's not an idiot. He's kind of an idiot, but he's not really because he does invent the hula hoop in the film. Yeah, so. <laughs> I think I think he's the accidental genius. You 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 could call him that because he well, doesn't he doesn't really seem to know what he has there until it goes into production. Exactly, yeah. I mean, he, he's the guy. I mean, they hired him basically to be a proxy. The proxy means sort of like a a face for the company. So, he's basically there to try and deplete the stocks so that the shareholders can buy up the stocks and own the company. But he, or he accidentally invents the hula hoop, which is a, an amazing success, and then the stocks go through the roof. So they they're basically screwed. Yeah, yeah, it's like uh, kind of like the the shareholders and all the people uh, high uh, high up, they're kind of like the, the bigger idiots uh, in the film. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean they hire him because they they want an idiot yeah. to replace the the president of the company, but he does this amazing thing completely by accident I mean I don't know if you remember or not but at one point when he's inventing the hula hoop he just pulls off his shoe 
and he's like he shows the design to someone and it's just a blank piece of paper with a circle on it. <laughs> yeah. And, and he says, you know, for kids. Yeah, and at that point <laughs> I didn't know what he was talking about. Like I was yeah. like, how big of an idiot are you? This is just a circle. What yeah. What is this supposed to be? And then later you get it. Like it's a really, really great. Reveal. And then you've got Jennifer Jason Lee as the uh, the reporter going undercover to try and you know bust a story on who this guy is. And then she obviously you know they she falls for him. And but also Bruce Campbell is in it as well. So yeah, when when I recognized him, I was like, oh great. <laughs> it's it's just a wonderful film. More people should see it. But if you don't have the means or you can't find it then please go on youtube and listen to this track because it is it's just the most insane orchestrating i've heard in my life i mean it's it's all there and it's so well put together it's brilliant i think yeah it's beautiful yeah it's, uh, i was really glad that you brought up that um, that soundtrack so so i could uh... Uh, mention it in, in my podcast because yeah it, it really doesn't get enough attention it's it's easily one of Burwell's finest oh absolutely it's my my favorite um Burwell score yeah mine too and it, it's my favorite Coen Brothers film even though it was the biggest flop they ever did the the next film they made after that Fargo won all the Oscars I didn't like that film at all oh 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 yeah I I can see that I I liked it but yeah <laughs> Yeah, right. But I, I like a lot of other films uh, of, of them way better, obviously, like The Big Lebowski. I really like Burn After Reading. And I like the latest one, Hail Caesar. I thought that was one of the best of 2016. Now, Burn After, uh, uh, Burn After Reading and um, Hail Caesar, I really liked. Big Lebowski, I absolutely hate. <laughs> I don't. I know, I'm in the minority. Everyone else loves that film, and I'm probably wrong. I, I, I obviously am wrong, but... I just never liked that film at all. Yeah, because because weirdly enough, it's it's kind of like Burn After Reading in a way, where it's this really complicated plot, and it's about idiots kind of like going through it in a way. But but I, I really like Big Lebowski is maybe like one of one of my favorites of, of theirs because it's it, it's it, uh, for me it's rightly so a cult film. It's it, it has great performances. It's so so weird and so nonsensical in a way but it has these great characters i really can't get tired of that movie it was actually the first that was the first episode of my podcast me and a, a friend talking about that movie that's so weird because i i remember just that that one dream sequence in big lebowski where um he's bowling and you've got julianne moore in a valkyrie costume <laughs> and the weird thing is hudsucker proxy actually has a dream sequence not that dissimilar yeah. And, uh, he he's doing a, like a, a ballet dance, and but he's still being the idiot that we know the character is, and I really like that. I, I, there's something about Big Lebowski I just didn't like, and I, I, I hands up, I'm wrong. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I mean it's totally understandable. I think that also I think that that one also really didn't make its money back, and then later developed itself into a cult film, like like it mm. always does. I think one of the best Tim Burton movies, for example, is Ed Wood, and that didn't make its money back. Oh, I love that film. Yeah, I it's, loved it's awesome. It. It's really yeah. awesome. I, I, and also, an awful lot of his smaller films that didn't make money, like um, uh, uh, Big Eyes, I really liked. Um, yeah. Big Fish, I really liked. I know they're both called Big, 
wonderful. Yeah, honest big movies uh, are, are great. Yeah, maybe maybe a tip for you, Tim Burton, in future. Don't put the word big in front of your title. <laughs> Unless it's called Big Batman or something. <laughs> <laughs> But, okay, you you go next because you've got lots more to talk about than I have. Yeah, yeah, in, in, indeed. So maybe like um, uh, in the next uh, one, I will come to a score which actually is from um, uh, this very year, and uh, it's uh, it's a movie that's called Die kleine Hexe or The Little Witch, as it's known in Germany, which is also based on a book by Ottfried Preußler, just like The Little Ghost. He really likes his titles with a little in it. Um, but it's um it's about um it's about a witch which is uh, very very young even though uh, she's like um she's like several hundred years old um but but she's she's a young witch and he she has a, a talking raven as a friend and she really wants to um go to the big witch dance every year but she's too young and so one day she uh, she sneaks um, uh, into the dance and gets caught and the witches say to her when you manage to learn all the spells in the uh, big like um, magic book and you learn to how to be a good witch then you can dance with us every year uh, even though you are too young and so um, that's that's the plot of the book and the movie um, she makes several encounters with uh, different uh, people in different situations and she tries to help them with uh, her witchcraft and it's a really really um, lovely little book and it's a really lovely film um, a very very well acted uh, a lot of great um, sets in it. it it feels like an old-fashioned TV fairy tale movie and it's composed by um, uh, a trio of uh, siblings um, Diego, Nora, and Lionel Baldenweg, and that was the first um, score I reviewed in 2018. And they actually, um, uh, Diego Baldenweg actually um, helped me a little bit because I I wrote I wrote to him that he should expect a review of a soundtrack pretty soon. And then he texted me which theme was for what character or situation, so I could easy so I could pick it out easier. So the composer wow. actually helped me to review the soundtrack. <laughs> That's amazing. That's amazing. What were your initial thoughts? What did you, uh, what caught your attention well, about it? I, I can tell you right off the bat, it creeped the hell out of me. <laughs> I mean, seriously, just the female vocals—they really—and 
it was it was actually going back to Burton, but it was I thought it was a bit Elfman esque. Um, yeah, it was it very kind of gothic and um, something about that style of music just I don't know just rubs me the wrong way, makes my ribs go tingly, and <laughs> um, so I I didn't like it. But that's not because it's not good. It, it's because that particular style just I don't know just doesn't resonate with me particularly well but that means it's doing its job so I can listen to horror scores and they're not necessarily pleasant to listen to and this wasn't pleasant to listen to but you can't deny how good it is so that's my fault that's all on me but yeah it, it, it's creepy as hell <laughs> I never thought about that that someone actually could it could feel like a, a creepy ride from it, but now, if, uh, as you're describing it, you're right. If you don't know what the movie's about, uh, if if you don't know the, the kind of like the, the theme they want to establish there, yeah, it it it, it can come across a little off-putting. But I loved it. I, I I really loved the. To me, it sounds really playful and really innocent. Yes, I I, I can completely understand that, and I completely understand the talent and behind it and how well it's done but just personally my personal taste i mean i can't listen to the score of edward scissorhands even though i know it's it's beautiful but something about it about that that vocal style um <laughs> and the, the way it's constructed just gets to me and i i, I can't deal with it i but as i said that's me i'm wrong i, I i'm not saying it's bad because I don't like it, I, I'm saying I don't like it because it's just not for me. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I get that. Because it's uh, to me, it's uh, I love his style of music. Um, also, that's, that's why I love Danny Elfman so much because he does this a lot. Send you two other tracks, um, "The Wuchtige Wind" and "Die Fliegenden Bücher." Do you have any thoughts about those two? I, I do about the uh, the the first one you mentioned. Yeah, um, it's it's a very gentle opening. I thought um, this really lovely, beautiful string ostinados in there, um, and as opposed to the other track, <laughs> some really nice choral vocal work. Yeah, um, because the other one. As I said, creep the hell out of me. This one actually, it was it was quite welcoming. It was like a nice warm embrace. So yeah, I really like that one. Yeah, it's part of a big uh, finale, uh, where she where she lets something, um, where she lets like the, the big magic books fly to her on the mountain, 
and it's it's, it's it was a, a visual uh, visually a very cool sequence and the music also caught my attention right away because it sounds so so unlikely epic for for a film like this <laughs> Yes, I've written that down as well. It does actually sound epic, I mean, but it sounds, as I said, like I've written down, it feels like a warm embrace. Yeah, it, it's something Which... that uh, kind of like she she does this to to grow as as a person. As she 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 does something very very um, very important and very big in that scene. Which shows that she has um, grown uh, in the magic uh, and as a character. So it, yeah, it, it's it's a big important scene, and the music really reflects that. Yeah, and the, the thing is, because I haven't seen the film and I didn't know the story, I mean, listening to those two pieces of music, I mean, one scared the bejesus out of me, and. <laughs> The other one made me feel like, oh, that's nice. Yeah. So it, it, it felt a bit schizophrenic, really, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, kind kind of. But but to me, it it really made a, a big. Um, it 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 really ma- made a great package of uh, uh, of music, and it really it's um, it has the potential to go into my top ten of 2018, coming the end of the year, um, mm. because I just like the soundtrack so much. And, awesome. Uh, the, the the trio of composers they are they are very very lovely people and they shared my review and they and they were so nice. But luckily I liked their music, so <laughs> so so. <laughs> you, you better not let them listen to this then, because I've just been saying one of them <laughs> scared the hell out of me, and the other one I thought was oh that's nice. Oh this is very schizophrenic. I don't know where I am anymore. But <laughs> obviously without context, just listening to those two tracks, you know, it, it was a little confusing, but lovely i mean i can't fault the music on it just one of them scared me and the other one <laughs> didn't so <laughs> yeah so um uh, which is another track you have to share okay all right this is where listeners unfortunately this is where i go dark <laughs> right. i go dark to uh well everything i've chosen after this is pretty dark um okay um john powell the film United 93. Um, obviously, this was the tale of uh, one of the stories of 9 11, and at the time, an awful lot of people were saying, sort of like, well, it's too soon to make a film about 9 11. But this focused on one story, and it was the, the plane that the passengers actually decided to fight back and they took on the hijackers, and unfortunately, uh, well, as history is told, it's not a spoiler to say this. Um, unfortunately, the plane did crash and no one survived. But it was about just these regular passengers who decided we're not going to go down like this, ironically. Um, and it, oh, I hate to bring this up because this show is called Under the Radar, and that really is an unfortunate subtitle to bring up this film with. But uh, <laughs> yeah. But it was uh, obviously directed by Paul Greengrass, who'd done the the second and third, and then fourth and fifth Bond, uh, Bourne movies. Um, he did Captain Phillips as well, uh, but he made it gritty and he made it about the people. And it was a, it's a beautiful, gritty and heartbreaking film. And so is the score by John Powell. I mean, it's hard. It's impossible not to cry watching the film, but it's hard not to cry just listening to the score by Powell. Um, it was reused in Captain Phillips, but as Powell scored both of those, I think he's allowed. 
No, no, um, Captain Phillips was scored for the most part by Henry Jackman. He only used, used like that track by Powell for... Yeah, just that one track, yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, sorry, so, sorry. Um, Captain Phillips was not scored by Powell. But um, but it, it's it's honestly one of the best pieces of uh, dramatic music I've heard in, in years. And it's not an easy film to watch. It's not an easy soundtrack to listen to. But it's important, and the film was, was told with style... And it was told with the permission of the uh, the survivors' families, so it it just I don't know it's just one I always go to if I need to sort of like realise I don't know maybe my life isn't so bad you know yeah <laughs> yeah I didn't watch the film I watched I actually watched the ending um, many many years ago and after that they brought a documentary about um, about that and. Um, so, so I know the ending scene, which which this music is from, but but I haven't, uh, I never ever uh, listened to the music uh, in isolation uh, before before you sent it to me. And you are totally right. It's it's um, it's of course not not one of the biggest uh, like, like orchestrated uh, scores Paul has done. It's 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 kind of like, and he also is, is quite good in the the minimalistic sense, which which also his his Bourne scores show. And this one is kind of like in the middle, where you really have um, sweeping emotion in there, but also like you have you have this constant sense of dread. He really, I, I think mm. writing music for a film like this with this topic really must be hard. And he he did his best to um, to really bring um, the mood across, and uh, so nobody who listens to it uh, goes away untouched. Well, absolutely, yeah. I mean, it's as you said, it, it, it's not an easy film to watch, but it, it's one that I think people should watch because people were saying sort of like, oh, it's too soon, it's too soon. But Paul Greengrass did such a respectful job with just focusing on this small group of passengers. I mean, he didn't do like the, the World Trade Center thing. He didn't do the Pentagon thing. He just focused on this one little flight that were people just going home to see their families. Yeah, and they they just decided we've we've got to do something about this, and unfortunately, it didn't work out. But it's very respectful. Um, as I said, it's not an easy watch. The documentary you mentioned um, is fantastic, where the actors who actually played the people that died in that crash went to go and visit the real families. So, and it's. It's very hard. I'm actually tearing up a little bit just thinking about it now. But it's it's not an easy watch, but it's a very powerful piece of music because it's very atmospheric and it builds. It just builds and builds and builds. And yes, we all know how the story is going to end, but we're still rooting for these people. And Powell did a brilliant job of doing that. I yeah, well, this is the sign of a of, of a very good movie. When even though you know the outcome of a story. You actually, um, you actually have like um, a tension in there. You actually want the people to succeed, even though you know they don't. Uh, this is also the same stuff when they made uh, several movies, like like the latest one by uh, Brian Singer, about the the topic of like the the, the Operation Valkyrie. Um, oh yes, yeah. Uh, that one, you know, everybody knows. Uh, kind of like everybody knows how that turned out, like like how they failed. But it is directed in a way and acted in a way that you are like in a constant like tension, like oh, how is this going to end? Like, do they make it out? I, 
did they did they do it or and, and, and all that stuff and also the that music there what was kind of similar by John Ottman where um, you have uh, this kind of like attention filled music but also you have a sense of beauty in there and this is really the way to score a film like this well yes I mean if you know how a story is going to end but you're still rooting for the characters then I think the filmmakers have done their job and I think John Powell especially on that track the end because I mean the, well that title alone tells you everything you need to know Yeah. I mean it's the end and you know how this story is going to end but he you, you're still there going yeah go on go on you know uh, it, it just it gets to you and yes sorry listeners it's a bit of a depressing film but it's a worthy film and it's worth your attention if you have the chance but if not just listen to the track the end by john powell from united 93 yes yes indeed yeah i was i was really i was really happy that you um that you brought that that track up because this kind of music really doesn't get discussed um um quite quite enough so it's um yeah it, it was great to to actually bring this up and also i'm um, talking about something serious for a change like uh, at least for a little while So yeah, uh, maybe I should continue now. Yes, go ahead. Um, yeah, please do. So maybe be before we go to the last composer, but from from which I sent the most tracks, we go to another little film, um, which is also from uh, which was the year 2016, and it's called um, König Laurin or uh, King Laurin, and it's uh, music by uh, David Reichelt. And uh, the, the tracks I sent you from that one were uh, the first track was a uh, Theo. Der Erfinder, um, which was quite a long track, actually. <laughs> and also... Oh, Theo, yes, yeah, the, I've the, got the, that. Yeah. Oh, Theo, Theo. Theo, Theo, the inventor, as it's yeah. in the... And, and the other track was uh, One Single Rose, which is actually an English language um, song, but based, yes, yeah. based on the main theme. So uh, what uh, what I... Um, and it's it's uh, also a medieval fantasy film for the family, um, about like um, about um, the, the relationship of um, of the dwarves and um, the um, and, and the human castle and um, how they um, split up and then come together again through the smartness of the king's son. So yeah, that's that's just the, the pretty um, quick synopsis of the story. So what are your um, thoughts on those tracks?
That one really surprised me. That was very surprising to listen to that because I thought it was a little bit bluegrass, you know, country style. Um, a little bit of, um, I don't know if you're aware of like English Morris dancing, but uh, it sounded like the music that uh, they would they would play while they were dancing. Oh, yeah. Um, it's very jaunty, I thought. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's good fun. Um, and now, I, I want to say there was great piccolos in there, but I don't know enough about composing to know if it was piccolos. It was um, some sort of... Um, some sort of woodwind, but it, it sounded really lovely. There was amazing main brass and, and strings themes in there. Um, and I thought it was quite epic. Yeah, yeah, it, it has a sense of epic also. Yeah, it's a, I, I think it was the, the biggest score the composer had done at that point. And um, he also uh, played a lot of his solo instruments, um, like the low whistle, the duduk, um, he played the accordion and uh, some of the horns and also the harmonica so so he he, he played quite a lot of uh, the instruments himself and it's um, he also orchestrated the music so it's it's really it's really a great a great little soundtrack and i stumbled across it purely by accident like just um just went through um, the soundtrack section of uh, an electronic shop and then i um saw the score and i knew about the movie but i hadn't watched it at that point and then i found the dvd in the same shop um, at the same time and so i was like hey maybe i can bring both of these home and when i listened to the music i was like <laughs> oh i have to watch the movie now the music is great <laughs> <laughs> no it, it, it's very um as i said i mean morris dancing sprang to mind um uh, i don't know if dear listeners out there morris dancing is a very old english tradition where people mainly men dress up in like white robes and they have bells on their ankles and they dance around whacking sticks together that's not a euphemism uh, so they actually <laughs> have sticks um, and they they pull ribbons around it's it's a very old tradition but uh but it, it, yeah it's a bit bluegrass a bit morris dancing it's very jaunty it's very fun um it also has kind of like but, a little John Powell vibe in the orchestrations here and then. It reminds you, it, it reminds me of his dragon scores sometimes. Well, that, I mean, that's the thing. We just mentioned John Powell um, a second ago. I mean, uh, how diverse and talented is that guy that he can do like Dragon and he can do a film like this and then he can do United 93. Uh, I mean, the guy can do anything. Yeah. So, um, yeah, and also I was quite surprised that it actually had an English language song on the album, which yes, also... Yes, and that is beautiful. <sighs> uh, one single rose. I mean, it's, it's almost got like a little... I don't know, a Hispanic feel to it. Um, it reminded me a bit of watching Coco. Yeah, it, um, it, has, it has a little bit of that vibe, you're right. But yeah, I was really surprised that it was an English language song on there. And it actually uh, also, I think it I think it won an award. I'm not quite sure, but I think it did. Um, like like a, like a German film award. And I really love that song. It's, it's, 
it's really just it's just so wonderful it, it's really it's it's really lovely it's it's quite uh, melancholic in a way and it uses the same instrumentation of the score it, it's mm. just it's just a great song yeah it's beautiful vocals as well i mean yeah. um and and the lyrics i, I especially love the uh, the line in it you you'll find it in your soul yeah which um spoke loads to me because of recent developments in my life and then he, there's some things you will just find in your soul you know Yeah, it, it's 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 really it, it's it's really lovely. Um, Caroline Adler really really did a great job with that. It's 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 a quite touching song, and I and I was really happy that they included something like that um, on a score, which is really meant. You know, the, the movie is really meant for little kids. Like it's 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 really um, a, a film that's that's meant for children, and it's um, mm. to, to hear this kind of music in this kind of film really shows you that you shouldn't un- underestimate. Um, projects like this when it comes to music well that's why it reminded me of Coco because that was a film that you technically would say a Pixar film is is for kids but they always have themes in there that can resonate with anybody if you're open to accepting those so oh yeah I, that's why that line really got to me I was like yeah this actually speaks quite a lot to my life at the moment so it's definitely one I shall be listening to on repeat oh, that's um, great. even for not just doing a, a podcast but uh, I loved it so much and it I thought it was beautiful absolutely oh beautiful. yeah yeah you should really recommend it to 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 your to your other buddies who are interested in film music because it's it's a, it's such a lovely song and it's it, it really yeah it, it, it it's just it's just great fun just like the, the soundtrack itself yeah it's fantastic I loved it absolutely loved it yeah both, both those tracks I mean uh, as I said one really surprised me because it was a bit bluegrass a bit Morris dancing very jaunty and then you've got this absolutely amazingly beautiful song yeah uh, it, with the, these lyrics in it that just really got to me so yeah yeah, one, really, really wonderful. Uh, David Reichelt really did a great job with with these things, and um, uh, yeah, I, I really can't recommend the soundtrack enough. Uh, I, I think it, it it went like I said, it even went under the radar in Germany, like like the the, the movie itself, because it was kind of like even though it had um, some some bigger actors in it, it kind of like um, was it wasn't that well known. I don't know if it even got like a wide theatrical release. But it's 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 one I, I would really recommend um, certain families to check out because it's it's a really cute movie.
Okay, great. Um, what is another track you have for us? Okay, uh, I'm, I'm sorry again, listeners. I'm going to go dark here again. <laughs> um, and this is actually a little bit self-serving. Um, well, not really. Um, but recently on my, my show, uh, I had as a guest on the interview series I do, uh, the composer Ben Lovett, um, who uh, just recently did um, a very, very small low-budget horror drama called uh, The Ritual. And the track I wanted to talk about was Monsters. It's... Um, first of all, the film is terrific. It is very, very psychologically scary. It's not gory as such, but it will get in your head. So you have to be brave to watch it. But the music is equally as psychological. And it's, it's, a, it's such a gorgeous but scary piece of music it's a very short track it's about one minute 40 or something like that mm -hmm. but um basically I, I wanted to bring it up because more people should see this film and more people should hear the music for it because it's a basically about four friends that go camping in sweden and they've never been camping before so they're completely out of their depth <laughs> and they're doing it for a very personal reason which is brought up in the first five minutes of the film, which I'm not going to spoil for anybody. Um, but yes, and of course, at some point, they decide, oh, it'd be a good idea to take a shortcut through the woods. And that never goes well in a horror film. So, <laughs> so they start just having panic attacks and hearing things, seeing things that may or may not be there. It, it is a very scary film, but it's brilliantly done. And Ben Lovett's music is... Um, I hate to plug my own show on yours, Lasser. I do apologise. Hey, but this is what these crossovers are for, so go ahead. <laughs> well, if you go to uh, sideshowsoundtheatre.com and click on interviews, um, you just go down, scroll down the list. There's quite a few on there, but click on the Ben Lovett interview. He's the nicest guy in the world, and he talks very, very openly about how they knew what they were doing but they were trying to do something different and this track monsters is absolutely it i hate to say beautiful because it is terrifying but it's probably the most thematic on his score so th that's the one i wanted to bring to the table didn't find it terrifying at all i actually also was quite that was the one i was surprised by because i expected a, a very dark and moody piece and it's certainly moody but it has the sense of uh, beauty in it it's a very intimate uh, uh, little track and i really liked it i i think it has it has this certain sense of um like, like I said, of beauty, which you don't get a lot in, in modern uh, horror or psychological horror movies. So I, I really liked that one. Like it's, it's, it has a lot of, you can interpret a lot in that, in that one track. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And the whole score is like that. But um, if you, if you see that track in context while watching the film, it, it is actually quite, a, it will get to you. But as a piece of music, I, I think it's just absolutely classic. Um, more people should see this film. 
more people should listen to the soundtrack. Ben Lovett is an amazing composer, such a nice guy. So, yeah, please do check it out. Yeah, it's it's currently on Netflix as I discovered today. So, um, please please people check it out. I should too. I really should watch it too because I heard a lot of good things about it. And listen to that interview, guys. It's really informative and like always, really fun. Yeah, he was very very um he was very open about sort of like we knew what we were doing when we send them you know through that shortcut in the woods we, we know exactly what we're doing we're not doing it by mistake <laughs> no, it's, but it is basically about four friends that um just start losing it basically yeah. so it it's uh it, it's really worth your time but it you have to have a a, a strong stomach to uh, to get through it So um, uh, the next ones are all by the same composer. This is by composer Ralf Wengemeyer. He's a German composer who has done a lot of stuff. He is the um, uh, the composer, or uh, one of the uh, biggest filmmakers in Germany, always goes to Michael Bulli Herbig, who is a, a comedy director. He had his own TV show for a while, and then he decided to do movies, and he often does um, uh, parody movies. He um, one of the biggest German successes was actually like a, a, a parody film of the Vinetou series, which you might be familiar with, which was amazingly successful in Germany. I think that's a record that's that's kind of unbroken still. I I am not quite sure about that, but it's 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 still it's still quoted today. It's still very very funny. And um, but uh, the, he did another parody, which was actually a mixture of Star Trek and Star Wars. And it was called, um, and that, that's one of the tracks I actually sent to you because um, it's so great. And the, the movie is called in Germany Traumschiff Surprise Periode 1, which kind of, which kind of um, translates roughly into Dreamship Surprise Period 1. Like, kind of like as the, um, as the, uh, as the parody of Episode 1. And it, um, it roughly um, is a, it's a spoof of Star Wars uh, as far as the villains go. But, um, as far as the plot and a lot of the core characters go, it's actually a, a parody of Star Trek, and um, with um, you know with uh, Mr. Spock and uh, Captain Kirk and all of it, and so it's uh, it, it's called like Captain Kirk and uh, uh, Mr. Spit in a way. <laughs> so it's it's really um, it's it's a really flamboyant, really silly movie, but it's also really funny. And uh, there's also an ha a Han Solo uh, wannabe character in it, uh, which is played by internationally known German actor Till Schweiger. And um, it has a lot of it has a lot of great jokes in it. It has a, a, a time travel plot where they end up in medieval times and also in uh, the Wild West at one point. And um, the, the track I sent to you actually is related to the bad guy, which is called Jens Maul, uh, which is which is uh, a name is a parody of Darth Maul. But it's uh, in character. He's a parody of Darth Vader, 
and um, <laughs> and so uh, for the music uh, which is called uh, the track which is called the Jens Maul theme or Jens Maul Thema um, I think it was pretty obvious to you what was was supposed to be so why don't you go ahead <laughs> Yeah, well, I, I've just written down one sentence for this. Okay. Uh, imperial theme opening. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Which I mean, that's that's all I've got. I mean, it just it does. I mean, I can tell it's a parody, but it does sound just almost identical, but not so much that they get sued to the imperial theme. Yeah. from Star Wars. It, it has everything in it. It has like it has the, um, the familiar strings. It even has. The woodwinds in there, which are in the original Imperial March, and the percussion as well. Yeah, the percussion in it—it's it, it, all. I when I opened it and I listened to it, I was like, "Are you sure you've sent me the right track? <laughs> because it's is this a version of the Imperial theme that I just haven't heard yet? Because bear in mind, I've just interviewed Kevin Kiner, who did Star Wars Clone Wars and Star Wars Rebels, so he's been interpreting themes for ages, and so I listened to it, and I was like. This just sounds like the Imperial theme. <laughs> yeah, but it's great. It's terrific. It's it's wonderful. It's 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 great. It's great orchestration. It's just it's just this this is what par- this is what parody is supposed to do. You know, like like mm. uh, doing something that you're familiar with, but kind of doing its own thing and twisting it in a way you are not expecting. And this is uh, yeah, I, I think this track especially is is just terrific because it's uh, it's everything you love about the music, but it's doing kind of like yeah a little spin on it. Well, I think that's what's so good about parodies, as you said. I mean, I mean, you listen to the um, the score for I don't know if you know the film Galaxy Quest. Oh yeah, wonderful. Yeah, I mean that gets just about as close to Star Trek as it can without being illegal yeah uh, <laughs> it, it has a spirit about it basically yeah um, i actually prefer to some of the star trek things i love that score uh, oh so me much. too Gar- galaxy quest I, is one of my favorite films of all time it's a great it's film. so underrated <laughs> And uh, that's also the strength of a parody because we weren't really familiar with Star Trek when we watched that movie as kids, and we still got it. We still got the humor. We still got the jokes and what they were um, satirizing. So uh, that's the strength of a good parody when you watch it, even if you don't really know everything about their satirizing. Well, even if you didn't watch it, I mean, you're aware of it, aren't you? So. I mean, if you never watched Star Trek in your life, you know the theme, yeah, and you know what it's about. Uh, but and then that's what Galaxy Quest did so well. Easily, is it? It started off being just a bit of a parody, just on the cusp of you know just being legal, and then it went off and uh, the composer did his own thing with it and it made it its own film. So that that's what a parody should do: is hint at stuff. And then do its own thing afterwards. Yeah. Also, one of the tracks um, of this um, 
a period one score, which I didn't send to you because it's just a really short outburst, but I will play it in here. There's there's a emperor-like character in it, which is actually mm -hmm. the father of the um, Darth Vader parody. And he, he, he reveals himself um, as like uh, with this big dramatic story and he, he looks up and he has this big rim glasses under the under his hood. And <laughs> <laughs> like this big grandpa glasses and he's like and he's like after this big dramatic story, Jens, I am your father and, and then the, the Darth Vader wannabe is like, Alright daddy, you can count on me, ciao. <laughs> 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 so and he has this really really silly german accent also um so, so it, that makes it that makes it just more funny and instead of a laser sword instead of a light saber he has a, a, a light whip um <laughs> right, okay. a, a red light whip and it's um uh, and he uses only um uh, for a short amount of time but it's it's really funny like like the movie itself it's so stupid it's so silly but it's really it's 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 really uh it's really funny uh, at the same time and and in that in that track um uh, there's one track where you have you also have uh in the um emperor's theme like by john williams you have this this really really dark moody uh, male choir and uh, mm. they satirize that in that track but after a few seconds it um it stops and one of the singers intentionally screws up and, uh, and and it sounds <laughs> like it, it kind of it kind of uh, we weakly fades out, and it's it's really funny on uh, when you hear it on the soundtrack in isolation. Oh, that sounds awesome. I mean, you say silly and stupid, but that's what apparently should be. It, yeah, it should it should be silly, it should be stupid, but also respectful. Yeah, in a way, you know, just like uh, most of the uh, uh, Zucker Zucker Abrams things were, um, or uh, spaceballs. Oh, spaceballs! That's a great example, of course. Yeah, where you wait. Also, you can watch that movie uh, when you are kind of familiar with Star Wars, but but even if you haven't seen the movies, it's still funny. Oh, it works totally in its own right. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, and uh, also when they they're they're satirizing the um, alien and planet of the apes. Uh, at that point, uh, <laughs> when I watched the movie as a kid, I hadn't seen uh, either um, planet of the apes nor Alien, of course. But I still, but I still found it funny. <laughs> well, I, as I said, it's one of those things like Star Trek that you, you you even if you've never seen them, you know about it. Yeah. So you can watch a parody of it and get the jokes. You know, like uh, Rick Moranis's what was his name, Dark Helmet. Yeah, that's so awesome. It's so funny. <laughs> also, the light and Pete, Pizza the Hut. It was like <laughs> yeah, it's it's uh, the, the, the ridiculous speed. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's the power of a great parody, exactly. So, um, yeah. uh, taking a break here, um, which is the next track you want to talk about and want to hear my opinion of? Okay, well, again, going dark. Uh, sorry about this, listeners. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it, it's personally, I think, one of the best films ever made, and I don't think that many people saw it. Um, I think it's slightly a bit of a cult hit, but I'm not sure. It certainly didn't do well at the box office. But it's um, it's by it's a track by John Bryan from the film Magnolia, yeah, um, which was Paul Thomas Anderson's uh, third film after Sydney and Boogie Nights. Um, it's a it's a very long, sprawling film about many stories coming together. Um, the track is called Showtime. And it's a long track again, so sorry, listeners. It, it's a 
over, I think, 11 minutes or something. But it's just, it it basically happens at a moment in the film where, um, you're aware of this film, aren't you, Lasse? I am. I haven't seen it, but I but I know it. Like, I, I know some of uh, P.T. Anderson's work. And this one is actually, I would describe it as a cult film because there are a lot of people who, who know about it. And it's... Uh, and yeah, um, I, I know what it's about also, but but I just uh, haven't gone around to watch it yet. And um, the first time I actually got in touch with uh, the works of John Bryan, I think that's how we pronounce them. It, I, I'm not always... Yeah, I, I think it's John Bryan. Bryan or yeah. Brion, I, I, I'm not sure. But um, the first tr- soundtrack I ever heard of him was uh, Paranorman. And oh, right, okay. And I really yeah. loved that one. It, that, was, that was a really great soundtrack. And... Um, I, I have heard uh, some other uh, works of him since, but not this one before. And I really, I really like this track. It's it's dramatic. It it has also this the sense of beauty in it, and you really get from the music what how the movie is going to play out in a way, like what it's about and what the intentions are. I really like the track, and uh, this is this is so great during these shows. You know, stumbling across something you wouldn't have uh, heard <laughs> yeah. otherwise. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, to put it in context, yes, it is a cult hit. Uh, in that the people have, it's basically it's a five star film that not many people have seen. Yeah, um, I was one of the people that went to see it on opening day because I love P.T. Anderson, um, and this track is uh, Showtime. This takes place basically in a montage where you've got you've got seven main characters in the film. You've got Julianne Moore, you've got Tom Cruise, uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman. And then, but it's it all takes place over this eleven minutes of film, and it's just the most insanely good composing and especially conducting I think I've ever heard. Um, Brian uses every single part of the orchestra in this track. It's there is not one section of the orchestra that doesn't get their star turn in this and it's themes that also intertwine effortlessly effortlessly with the ostinatos again in that you'll get the brass doing one section and then you get the strings doing one section following off of that and then the woodwind it just it's a long track it is but it's just insane composing I, i i think it's absolutely brilliant and if you have the chance Please seek out the film and watch it in the context of how it was meant to be. But if you don't, then just listen to this track, Showtime, John Bryan, Magnolia, because it's just an amazing piece of music. It is. It really is. Thank you for um, sharing it with me and, and now with us, because otherwise, who knows? Like, who knows how how long I, it would have taken me to actually uh, getting around and, and watching that movie? Because I always wanted to, but just uh, have like sometimes you know stuff comes up, and there are a lot of movies you have to catch up on, and this is like one of them. 
you know, it, I'm really ashamed that I haven't. Oh, you you you're preaching to the choir, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't I haven't seen I haven't seen uh, nearly enough uh, P.T. Anderson movies as I as I want to. Um, one of the one of the ones I can remember is uh, Punch Drunk Love, which I really liked. And I, I haven't seen his most recent ones, even though I want to, because they sound really great fun, and I know how good of a filmmaker he is. But he's one of them, yeah, I, I wish I had seen more stuff. Um, and I will, I mean, it's never too late. I, I will put this out there, all the recommendations I've made so far, apart from the Hudsucker Proxy, um, uh, United 93, you might find upsetting. If, if it's not your bag, that's fine, just listen to the track. Um, the Ritual, if you haven't got a strong stomach, you may not like it. Uh, Magnolia is very adult. There's nudity, there's swearing, there's all sorts of, of stuff in it. These are adult films. Not adult in that way, you know. But, <laughs> <laughs> but um, Magnolia, it, it's a long film. It's nearly three hours long. Um, it's not exactly a complicated film, but it's one you have to sort of get on board with. But it's worth it. It really is worth it. So I would really, really recommend people listen to this track. And if you can, seek out the film because it's brilliant. Oh, yeah. I ha I've heard a lot of good things about it. And that has encouraged me now to to actually really try and watch it as soon as I can. So thank you. <laughs> well, you've got a birthday coming up. So who knows what will come your way? Oh, OK. I am. I am. I'm a little prepared now, so thank you. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, the last two I want to talk about um, before you mm -hmm. are, uh, um, before you can uh, bring your final one, and then I will um, do your final one because these one ones belong together. It's again, like I said, Ralf Wengmeier, and it's uh, uh, the first part is again directed by uh, Michael Bulliherbich, and the other one, uh, the other one Naughty produced it. I think it's it's um, it's two movies based on the. Uh, wiki series um, uh, and also the books which is about um, a viking boy again how to train your dragon comparison god damn it um <laughs> it is it's also it's also kind of similar in a way that he is not a strong kid but he has a big brain and uh, he is uh, he's part of a bunch of vikings and a very very um stoic shouty um chief and uh, he always uh, gets um, the Vikings out of trouble with his great ideas. And the first movie really captured the sense of fun and comedy. And um, it has really a cute production design. And it also has great music. And the track that belongs to the first film, um, that one was the one that was called, uh, let me see, Heim Heimkehr nach Flake. Uh, mm -hmm. Uh, yep. Yeah, which which uh, which features the the films and also the the TV series, um, a main theme. So, uh, what did you think of that first track? Before we switch over to the other one. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
Okay, well, first of all, this really, uh, this might be blasphemy, but um, it really reminded me of Michael Kamen's music for Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Oh yeah, it really does, you're right. Uh, I, I, I love the, the woodwind, the themes and the strings just bouncing off each other. It, when I started playing it, within the th- first 30 seconds, I thought, this sounds like Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, it's it's not the greatest film in the world, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, but it's a terrific score, and Michael Caine was a genius. So. Yeah, you're right about that. I I, I didn't notice the uh this, the similarities before now, so so thank you. Yeah, but but it, it could have been an influence there. Who knows? I think it was intentional because it's obviously a, I haven't seen the film, but it's obviously like an action adventure type thing. It is kind of yeah. So I but I mean. <laughs> I mean, everyone is influenced by Michael Kamen, aren't they? In, in a mean, way, yeah. And as dreadful as the film Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves was, I mean, the score was terrific. So oh, It was. I, I'm really angry about the misrepresentation on the regular soundtrack CD of that score because it really deserves like a, a complete... Uh, complete edition um, thing, which I think it's in the works now, right? I think that's something that, that's supposed to ca- come out soon, or maybe it has I, already. I, I think so, yeah. I think so. I mean, it deserves it. I mean, not as it... Well, the film doesn't deserve it, but... Um, but it has. But Kay- <laughs> yeah, well, Cayman's score certainly deserves it, yes. But, uh, I mean, because that's one of the best themes in modern cinema. <laughs> It's worth going and whatever you think about the film Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, go and listen to Michael Kamen's score for it, especially just just the opening theme because it is one of the best themes you will ever hear in your life. It is. It's it's uh, the opening credits really set uh, set the mood to a movie you will not see. <laughs> <laughs> but but the, no, don't watch the film. Just listen to the music. But the movie has its high points. One of them, of course, uh, the late Alan Rickman, who is who just steals the show, and I think his scenes were directed by a totally different person. <laughs> And two lines, two lines he said in that film that stole it, straight off the bat. I'm going to cut his heart out with a spoon. <laughs> that was awesome. <laughs> and, then, and call off Christmas. 
Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but then uh, his, his uh, a guy of Gisborne says to him, why a spoon, brother? Because it's blunt, it'll hurt more. <laughs> it's dull, you twit. <laughs> But oh no, he, he he stole it. Yeah, absolutely stole it. So so funny. Yeah, but uh, the film itself might have problems. But I really like the action in it, and yeah, of course uh, the soundtrack as well. It has yeah, it's just just a great fun um, little score. And the other yeah. um, the other title mm -hmm. I, I wanted to show you. It's, it's oh sorry, I totally drove you off track. <laughs> no, 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 there, no problem. Didn't I? No problem. Um, it's from the second. It's from the second film of the series. Which goes a little bit more action adventure in a way, and it's called Vicky of Grosser Fahrt, kind of like Vicky's Great Trip in a way, and it's it's composed by Ralf Engmeier, Nick Reich, and Jaro Messerschmidt. And the track I sent you was, uh, yeah, Schlacht in der Schlucht des Odin, which is an action. Oh yes, yes. Which is an yeah, action it, track, yeah. and I want to hear your initial thoughts on it, and maybe some comparisons you're gonna make first before we'll okay. tell you my thoughts on it. Okay, um, well, first of all, I loved it. Um, second of all, it sounded to me a little bit like, I hate making comparisons all the time, but it sounded to me a little bit like a mixture of Alex Silvestri and Jerry Goldsmith. Yeah, um, it does in a way. I have another comparison, but I will tell you uh, later about that. <laughs> well, it, it almost sounded quite sort of... And I'm just I'm just mentioning this film because it's the only one that came to mind at the time when I was making notes. But it sounded like it could be you know a part of the Avengers score. Kind of, yeah. It it sounds very, uh, very like um, a swashbuckling adventure. Like um, it's it's it, and also quite epic. Um, it's 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 a really it's a really great track in my opinion. It's it has a, a great sense. Oh, of it is absolutely. I loved it. I mean, it, and you're right. It is epic, but it it did remind remind me of uh, like Silvestri and Goldsmith a little bit. And it's got the big themes, and it's exciting, and you you're in. You know, I mean, I'm the sort of person that when I listen to a piece of school that really gets me excited. It's like someone else listening to a, a, a rock song or something i i really get excited listening to it you know <laughs> yeah but that's that's, Not... that's a great sign because my uh, i'm wired like that because I, I make quite the comparisons as well to different scores and to me the main theme that's played all throughout the score is actually kind of a rip-off of um, a theme that harry Jackson williams composed for the animated movie sinbad legend of the seven seas Oh yes, yes. It, it sounds yeah. very, very similar to that. And who knows? Who knows? Maybe if this was this is like the temp track bleeding through, or maybe they just came up with this theme and weren't aware of how similar it sounded to this one.
to be honest, when it comes to like action adventure stuff and and scores, there's only so many roads you can tread before you start stepping on someone else's road. Um, so things are going to sound similar, but I love this. It seemed to have its own identity, and I I'm not saying that as a disparagement. Saying it sounded like Sylvestri and Goldsmith. I mean that that's the highest benchmark I think you can possibly have for an action adventure score. Yeah, indeed. Uh, I I always say the same. Like when you're when you get compared to to people like Jerry Goldsmith or even like John Williams, that's like the highest compliment you can get. Absolutely, yeah. And uh, you know, this <laughs> Sylvester is doing a brilliant job with Avengers. Uh, Goldsmith obviously was a legend, and they they've composed some of the you know most notable and memorable action adventure scores of all time oh yeah so if you can get something that sounds a little bit like that but it certainly had its own tone yeah then that's that's not a bad thing yeah totally oh we will talk about um jerry goldsmith in the future dear listeners we already have plans for that I get to my uh, last album recommendation uh, tell us about um, mm-hmm. your last pick okay uh, this is again a bit like uh, Magnolia and The Ritual this is a, a, a film that I I think is a bit of a cult hit but I don't think enough people saw and yeah. I'd really like to see the, I'd really like them to see it and I'd like them to hear the music it's um, the film Dread uh, which was not the uh, Sylvester Stallone one, uh. Uh, which was awful. Uh, <laughs> it was the <laughs> great <laughs> well, score, it though. It was a good score, yeah, but a terrible film. And sometimes even a good score can't help a terrible film. Uh, this <laughs> this was a much more hard, and again, I'm getting dark here. Hard R-rated film, Dread, starring Carl Arben. Um Starring Curl Urban. Yeah, as, as I always say, his, I always, I always say his name wrong. <laughs> Urban. As R-rated, uh, <laughs> as, as R-rated as you can get, actually, I think. It, it was a hard R rating. Um, in it, there. It, so, listeners out there, it is not for little ones. Um, this is violent. There's tons of language in it. There's some sexual content in it. But if you want to see what Judge Dredd should look like on the big screen, this is the version to see, because it was made absolutely to the key of what uh, the what the comic book was, and uh, the score was done by Paul Leonard Morgan, and the track I've chosen is She's a Pass. Now this technically, on the album, is track one. It's actually the last track in the film. Yeah, the last track um, for, for the last scene before the end credits. Yeah, and this always annoys me that when soundtracks are released on CD, they're, they're always out of order. But it's um, not enough people saw this, and certainly not enough people heard the score. It's actually quite a techno score. Yeah. Um, it, it's quite electronic in a way. Um, I think there are no real instruments in it. It's a, it's pu- it's a pure electronic score, I think. I, I think so, yeah, but it but it perfectly works in context of the film because this is a, an electronic world that it's set in, so it wouldn't make sense to 
to have an orchestral score for this. Yeah, because I, I first when I first heard that they were rebooting Dread, I was like, hey, maybe we're gonna bring Anne Silvestri back. That score was great, but then I, when I watched the movie, I was like, okay, no, th this music is, is a better fit for this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we. Uh, I, I don't want to swear, but obviously you can't polish a you-know-what, as it were. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, this totally works for the film, and it's really hard. And what really impressed me about the film is not one second do you see Dredd without his helmet on. Yeah, you never see his face. You see, like, one... Uh, in the beginning, he puts his helmet on, but you don't see his face. It's in Yeah, but it's in kind of like silhouette, silhouette so shadow. you never actually... You never see his eyes, you never see his, his nose, it's just, he's always in the helmet. Yeah, so. that was something that Urban actually was keen on doing. He was like, never show my face, this is a character, like he, I, I really don't want to to distract from that. Um, oh, I think he I think he actually insisted on that, he said, I'm not doing that if you want me to take the helmet off. Yeah, yeah, off. exactly. Um, so so that's, that's so awesome, and he was, all the cast... I think it's one of uh, I think it's also one of um, uh, Lena Headey's best performances. Um, she, yeah. she plays a great villain, uh, which you can actually you, can, you where you can kind of understand her motivation and you give her a backstory, even though she, she's really sadistic and, and a really horrible person. I really liked um, Olivia Furby in it steals the show. She is she mm. really holds her own in the action sequences and against the, her co-stars. And I, I the only movie I knew her uh, from before was Juno. Yeah, same here. So yeah. so I was really surprised by the leap she took by doing this film. Well, she's awesome. I mean, she as you said, she really holds her own as um, Anderson, and and she's a very different character to Dread. So it's it's kind of like a fish out of water story and a buddy cop movie but also a very enclosed crime action really hard hitting thriller you yeah. know it's i think which it, which it, one came out first this or the raid because they are similar in no the raid did, did actually come out about two years before yeah exactly so there uh, some critics made comparisons but the comparisons are pretty loose in the way that it's it's just the kind of like the same concept like uh, characters have to fight themselves uh, in a closed area to the top, and um, yeah, but you never you never heard anyone from the raid saying sort of like, well, we didn't copy Die Hard. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So, so it's. I mean, Die Hard exactly the same story. He's trapped in a building. There's terrorists there. He's got to fight his way out, and that was made in what eighty nine, something like that. S some something in uh, somewhere, somewhere. Maybe even there. earlier. Yeah, I uh, think. It, so. So the raid came after Die Hard, and no one complained about that. Yeah, but so it, I, I never even made the comparison before. You're right now. The, the, these three, these three movies now have this uh, in common. But you know, when when two movies with the same kind of concept come out so so closely, then the, the the comparisons are much much easier to make. But like I said, they are pretty loose. It's just kind of like the same concept with the plot itself, the back the background, the characters. They are totally different. And um, I actually preferred Dread to the first Raid. I, I kind of couldn't. I don't know why I couldn't. I couldn't quite into, get into the first Raid. I haven't seen the second one yet, but I own it. Uh, I, I want to. I want to watch it uh, during the next few days. Um, but Dread, I, I got much more into because I really liked. In the, I, I did the character. I, I liked the character. I liked the characters actually. Um, uh, it was uh, smart of them to have this concept of you know this 
this rookie at his side because so you don't have to follow this the stoic figure um, the stoic faceless figure so you have someone you can relate to uh, a human uh, an actual human being even though she plays a mutant in the movie <laughs> <laughs> but yeah it's uh, i really loved the i, I watched it uh, with a friend who is really into this kind of movie and we watched it in uh, in the cinema in 3d some of uh, one of the greatest uses of 3d in a live action movie uh, at this point uh, because they well, i would i would agree with it i would say apart from avatar it's the only film in 3d that actually is worth going to see in 3d if you could because it, it it uses it quite beautifully. Yeah, in these in these scenes where they take these specific kind of drugs, which make you see everything in slow motion. <laughs> yeah, slow mo. So yeah. it's 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 that's a great concept, uh, and they integrate that into the action, and it's just uh, the world building is also great. You really get a sense of this world in this short amount of time, and you really want a sequel to this. I really wish that movie could have done better. I really don't know why it didn't do better. It's such a shame. Maybe it was the stamp of a Stallone film that came before it. Who knows? Maybe people were just poisoned by that and were just, no, that, that's a shame. It's possible. I mean, it, it certainly wasn't a high-budget movie. I think they made it for under 30 million or something, which yeah. in, I know is a lot of money, but by film standards, that's kind of nothing, really. Yeah, it's, it looks great. It's a great-looking movie where you're like... You see films for uh, which were made for like uh, three hundred million dollars, which which look like which look like a cheap TV movie. <laughs> Justice League. <laughs> 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 well, I uh, on the one hand I'm a DC fan and a huge Batman fan, so I kind of disagree. But no, I I agree with you. Justice League was. It's one of those films I really wanted to like, but I just can't. <laughs> yeah, same. It's kind of same here. I I, I know. I, I mean, I keep watching it, thinking maybe this time I'll like it, <laughs> and then like, no, it's still bad. To me, it actually, uh, the second time I watched it, actually got worse, uh, because the first time I watched it in the cinema, I was like, hey, this isn't, this isn't terrible. You know, they're trying, they were trying a course correction, and and for the second time, I was, I was much more. Because um, because I watched it in, in a private setting, I, I was much more much better in noticing all the faults in it and also like the the, the special effects oh, it, which it's, were it's, not finished. It's dreadful filmmaking, and I, I I say this as someone I'll I'll watch it. It's like a, it's like I'm torturing myself. I'll watch it just to try and make myself like it, but I just can't at this point. Yeah. It's just every time I watch it, it's like no, this is just bad. <laughs> you know, it's yeah, it is. I, I I mean, Batman versus Superman is like a masterpiece compared to it. Yeah, at least that one has a consistent tone and a sense of ambition. I mean, it, it's a better looking movie in a way. <laughs> oh, Justice League is just a mess. Yeah. I mean, that's all it is. It's a mess, and I, I totally understand that because. Zack Snyder was going through some really horrible stuff at the time in his personal life, and um, and then uh, Joss Whedon stepped in, and uh, just the tone is just all over the place. Is it serious? Is it meant to be jokey? Uh, it just you can't get a sense of it. Yeah, which which is something you that can work when you have the right filmmaker behind, it and it's if it's the intention from the very start. But this one clearly isn't. It's just people came in late trying to fix certain stuff 
and you can see the seams, you can see the holes where you haven't quite tinkered up. It's just, uh, it, it's just a very, very. Um, uh, it's a mess. Yeah, it, it's uh, that's the best word for it. It's a mess. But uh, Paul Leonard Morgan's score isn't a mess for uh, Dread coming back to. The oh no, 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 absolutely again. not. No, um, I really no. His his score. What I really like about it is yes, it, it's the one I've chosen. It's a bit more electronic, a bit more techno. Um, but it is a good score and it does have themes there it, uh, um, it has yeah uh, and it works totally in context with the film um, really people out there go and track down and, and find a copy of Dread or something uh, if not then just listen to the score but it'll make more sense if you watch it in context with the film yeah it, it, it really it really is a great score I especially like the track Mega City One, which kind of is the main theme for it, like the main action theme, which is the first yeah. thing you hear in the movie. It's 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 a very great style. It sounds very aggressive. It sounds not unlike something that maybe um, Tom Holtenborg would write for some of uh, his movies. Um, it's it, it's a great it's a great stylish score. I really like it. Normally, you know, you have to do something very very right to make me interested in a purely electronic based score and this one does all of it this one is, is, is one I would really recommend for people um, even if they are more of uh, the orchestral route but but people who are more into the modern stuff really should check this out in the movie also the movie is, is all around really great uh, don't bring your children but it's it's a it's a fantastic no good lord no, <laughs> no. It's, a, it's a fantastic movie um which uh, which you really should watch and treasure and recommend to other people. Well, I think it's also one of those scores that. Um, uh, well, I hope hopefully we've all recommended stuff, both you and I, that people can listen to just as as songs alone. But um, but I think the track um, Mega City One, as you mentioned, and the one I've chosen, She's a Pass. You could just listen to those for fun. Yeah. You don't have to watch the film. You, you can actually listen to those as songs. Yeah, indeed. Uh, totally. That's the power of great film music also, when you can hear it out of context and still get something out of it. So that's me. I'm done. That's all my dark <laughs> oh, stuff great. done now. Because so. <laughs> I, I only have one more. So um, to quote Monty Python, now for something completely different. Oh, God, Monty Python. <laughs> Sorry, I know you're not a fan, as you told me. I know, I know. It's, it's blasphemy for a Brit to say that, but I, I'm just one of the people that I... Again, minority, I'm wrong. I, I just never found it funny. I didn't get it. <laughs> no uh, problem at all. Not for me at all. So, so the next one I, I saved for last because it's also the newest score on the list. Um, it's from okay. this year. And it's also a German family adventure film based on the world-famous book of Michael Ende. And it's called, in the English language, Jim Button and Luke the Engine Driver, which is um, 
which is the story <laughs> of um, of a small island with very few people on it, among them uh, an engine driver. And uh, one uh, at one point, uh, an African-American baby arrives in a little package, and the only woman on the island adopts it and raises it as her son. And they call it um, they call him Jim. And later he gets the nickname Jim Button because of a big button on his trousers. And one uh, and one day the king of this small island, called Moroland, um, says that uh, the island is too small for um, for one more citizen. And so uh, the, the tank engine Emma has to go. So Luke says, "I will go with her as well." And then Jim says, "I want uh, I want let my." Uh, best friends go and so they uh, all three of them leave the island and get to um, a, a foreign place called Mandala which is kind of like a faux Chinese country and the emperor's daughter has been taken away by pirates and sold to a dragon and so they go on a big adventure to save <laughs> the princess and that's the basic story yeah <laughs> wow okay it's a very very it's a very creative and silly world uh, this this story and also the movie takes place in because everything is just so magical and so unrealistic you know the small this really small island with two mountains which has a, for for no reason a tank engine uh, and and uh, like a, a train uh, train tracks on it and a king but uh, it's it's a really uh, uh, it's it's one of the most uh, expensive german movies ever made for uh, 25 million euros and you see the money on the screen it really looks like a hollywood blockbuster the the, the cgi in it is really really breathtaking it they really spent they they spent they spent no expense they um uh, it's uh, it's also very well acted. Uh, you have a British actor Solomon Gordon actually playing the uh, a part of Jim, um, and he and the the movie itself is it's really magical. It's really fun, and also one of the biggest uh, high points is the score again composed by Ralph Engmeyer with additional music by Marvin Miller, and um, also he shared um, he he kind of like uh, he wrote me. A thank you um, a message on Facebook for my review on the score, and he was really happy about it because it's it's a really what uh, I sent you a, a couple of tracks. Um, one of them, of course, like uh, Jim Knopf and Lucas, um, which is like which uh, features the main theme, which is actually taken from the German TV series that came out oh, in yes, the sixties. Yeah, yeah. So um, that's that's one of that's one of the tracks, and we will talk about the other ones. Um, later but yeah what were your initial thoughts on those titles track um jim knopf uh i i loved it um <laughs> i thought it was so uh, uh, well, as you said i'm just basically repeating your own words but i thought it was so romantic and adventurous sounding um it actually reminded me an awful lot of the princess bride yeah kind of uh, it has it has some similarities to that but also this this theme you hear in that track is 
the old um, TV theme um, uh, com com actually itself composed by uh, uh, Hermann Amann and uh, yeah but uh, the, the, the rest the rest is pretty much original but that one it has this really um, old-fashioned vibe uh, adventure romantic vibe as you said yeah it's, it's got some lovely lovely themes in it I mean really lovely um, again this is one you could listen to just as uh, just for fun um, because it, it's just so nice but um but yeah, I, I was reminded of, of films like, not specifically The Princess Bride, but films like The Princess Bride, like um, I don't know Willow, oh, yeah. and um, uh, and st and stuff like that. You know, the old school sort of like a action adventure romantic sort of scores. Yeah, indeed, that, that's a good comparison. And uh, the other tracks I sent you from that soundtrack actually take place in the uh, in the faux Chinese land mandala. So you, of course, you. Um, you have the music kind of it sounds a very specific way so uh, like let's start with a track Mandala um, wh what are your thoughts on that? Okay, th this very much actually was, again, a bit of a surprise considering <laughs> the first track I listened yeah. to. Uh, it reminded me very much of um, Oriental compositions. Um, and almost a bit like what Zimmer did on uh, Kung Fu Panda. Indeed, yeah. It's it's uh, playing with um, Far East um, uh, instrumentals and uh, really, d but doing something uh, on your own with it. So a lot of Western composers did this already. And this is just the latest example of that. Yeah, I'm not saying he copied it at all. Um, and I, actually, I'm probably wrong. It wasn't Zimmer, was it? It was. Um, oh, it, it were both uh, Hans Zimmer and John Powell did Kung Fu Panda. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, well, it was remote control then, basically. It was probably about four people that did it. Uh, <laughs> but um, I, it, it was it was contemporary, but it did have a very sort of Oriental uh, basing to it. Um, it was good fun. Um, I really liked it. Yeah, really loved yeah, it. Yeah, and the other track, um, Fordin Kaiser Palace, in, in front of the Emperor's Palace, as it's translated. Um, this, this actually um, features in the first few seconds um, on flute, the theme for the princess, uh, Princess Li Si, which has been captured. And then it goes into this, in my opinion, it, uh, the strings really reminded me of a style that Thomas Newman writes in. I was thinking the exact same Great. thing, actually. <laughs> I, I, I think we're on the same page here. This is uh, Vordem Kaiser Palast, yeah. yeah? 
yeah um it's a very short queue um it's what about 50 seconds something yeah, like that yeah something like that yeah but it, it's so much fun i mean it's it, it's one of those tracks that's like hey, you look at it and think oh only 50 seconds but then as soon as it's finished you you replay it about five or six times it's just it, it's such good fun um it's really good orchestration again uh, I I loved it. Yeah, it's 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 great. It's one of my favorite tracks of the album, and uh, the next one, uh, which is "Die um, Blüten der Gelehrsamkeit," which translates roughly to "The Blossoms of Wisdom," which are some wise um, Mandalasian men, as I want to call them now, because they're not Chinese. They're not supposed to be Chinese. Um, uh, they and they help uh, the two heroes to figure out where the Dragon City is. And so uh, mm -hmm. in the scene, they they come into the room and uh, kneel down and kind of like reveal the big rolls of um, of, of pergament, like uh, like uh, of wisdom they they um, they had in their library. And it actually, I really want to talk about the very beginning of a track. Uh, what mm -hmm. what do you have to say about that? Uh, it's got a very oriental sound to it, which is very cool. I mean, it's. I can only guess it's quite a schizophrenic score from start to finish because <laughs> it goes it goes from oriental to action adventure to oriental again. Um but I suppose you know any Pixar film can do the same thing. Um it's really upbeat. Yeah. Um especially like from from second one it's really upbeat and it really sort of gets you gets your blood pumping yeah, it's, a it's, little it's bit. It's epic kind of. It sounds really exciting. And it's also very, very beautiful. Oh, it's so um, great. I actually, I caught that track uh, during the scene in the cinema right away. And I was like, oh, I have to listen to this as soon as I get home. I have to listen to it on CD. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was, it, as I said, very upbeat. Um, it's got a lovely first, you know, few seconds to it where you just, it just gets you sort of like going, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, awesome. <laughs> and it's, it's really beautiful. The orchestration in it is amazing. Yeah, it, it really is. It's played by the Babelsberg uh, Orchestra, uh, which have done a lot of um, a, a lot of soundtracks, and they 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 are one of the best orchestras. Like it's 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 amazing. It's it's really it has. Oh, I know them well. They're they're actually listed as the the third best orchestra in the world. Oh yeah, yeah. With um, I, I wasn't aware of that, but they deserve it. <laughs> I think the first one is. Um, was the London Philharmonic? Yeah, they are the, the ones that get. Uh, and then the I, I think number two is is the Prague Orchestra. Oh yeah, the, the, the Prague one. I, I think also the isn't, isn't there like a, a Vienna Orchestra, uh, which which I, I I'm not quite sure, but they, they record a lot of scores in Vienna. Um, yeah, w w I mean I hate rating them because <laughs> let's be honest, every single person in any of those orchestras is a hundred thousand times more talented than I. Yeah, they are all so, musicians. <laughs> but there are certain orchestras that people will go to. And yeah, that's that's why I wanted to to share the score. And the last uh, the last track is Lisi and Jim, which um, which which features. Oh, I love this one. Yeah, it's so so sweet and so cute so what do you have to say about that 
first of all, and I, I, I want to ask the question because I don't want to get this wrong. Is that flutes in it, or is it some different type it, of wind? No, it's, it's it's some kind of flute. I think it's it's like an ethnic flute, um, which which is specifically used for the 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 people of Mandala, and so in this case for the princess, this is her theme again, mixed with uh, the main theme for the heroes, but in a very hmm. very um, sweet way. I've got to be perfectly honest, and I don't mean this in a bad way at all. It, when I heard it, I, w I was like, "This sounds a bit like Titanic." Oh, you're right. Yeah, it does because it's actually. And I don't mean that in a bad way because that's an amazing score. Yeah, because so. it's actually uh, it's actually a track with um, romantic intentions. Yeah, I mean, I, I I love the score to Titanic. Obviously, the great James Horner. But uh, but I was listening to it. I was like, "This sounds a." bit like titanic i mean not a ripoff obviously but it just it's got the same sort of vibe to it as the titanic theme um and also i don't know if you agree with me or not but i don't think there is enough acoustic guitars in film scores these days oh you're absolutely right i mean i'm talking nylon string proper classical guitars you know yeah and this one has it <laughs> it does indeed yeah it does no i loved it i thought it was great i thought it was really lovely um very romantic as i said uh, that's why it reminded me of titanic um again not not without you know it's not a ripoff or anything but um but yeah i i, I loved the, the the flute sounds and i loved the acoustic guitars in there and then it goes into the, like the main themes and that uh, beautiful track yeah it's i really love this score it it also um will go i think in in my top 10 come the end of the year because this this is a, a book this is a story that i i grew up with this is my childhood actually this this very story and um seeing it realized like that in a big budget film with these kind of effects mm. and also this kind of music that, that really yeah. made me feel like a little kid again um being in the cinema like it was like w watching the first harry potter again as a kid or maybe <laughs> now, now i know what all the marvel fans must feel when these avenger movies come out you know uh, when it's like oh this is their childhood you know they grew up with the comics and and these characters and this is mine and this so this is the score is really something very very special to me and it's great to hear that um, you actually like it as well. Oh, of course, yeah. I mean, it's it's good music. It's good film music. So, of course, I'm going to like it. <laughs> Thank you for recommending it to me and sending yeah, it. Yeah, that was the purpose of the episode, you know, just making room for something <laughs> that totally would slip under um, uh, international radar in in, an, uh, in another case. And, and it's always great to, um, to be in the position to actually bring this out to people and then say, like, hey... This is this is great. This is great music. Check it out. Even uh, even though it's it's kind of hard to to reach it. But this one actually appeared now on Spotify. I think it's available now there, and uh, and even especially this score, dear listeners, when you have a chance, order it somewhere online. I don't know. I really don't know where, but it it really it, it's worth every penny. It's um, it's a wonderful soundtrack, and maybe they are pushing for an international release of the movie itself who knows I, I i'm not quite sure but they, they really should because it's it's produced on an international scale uh with with several um foreign actors in it as well and um and yeah that's 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 my opinion on that oh it's great no that, thank you i i really do appreciate it it was such a gift to get it was a lot to get through i've got to be honest <laughs> you know like 20 plus tracks it but, was uh, yeah. it was 
it was a, a joy to do it and there's so much music there i mean i've got to be honest i've not heard any of them before so i'm really grateful i got the chance to hear them yeah and i'm also grateful that you recommended some some scores to me i wasn't i wasn't aware of like i hadn't i hadn't listened yet to um to, to uh the uh, the ritual score even though i i listened to your interview and so it was great to hear it in in isolation and also like um, United ninety three, I never heard, and Magnolia uh, also not. Like I, I, I was, I was glad that I was familiar with um, Caterpillar and Pauline Morgan's um, submissions, uh, as you would, as you would call it now. But um, yeah, <laughs> it's um, huh, that that was uh, just um, yeah, that, this was just a joy, you know, sharing uh, under this uh, under this topic sharing these yeah and i i think this makes us uh even as well because you sent me like over 20 uh, tracks and some of them were only like 50 seconds long i sent you five and some of the mine were like 12 minutes yeah. long so you know may maybe that makes us even who knows it, it could very yeah. well be <laughs> i think so i think but, so uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah just, just let me say again thank you uh for being a returning guest on here i had i had a great fun talking to you again and just sharing my thoughts uh, about music we both love and uh i just yeah it's, it's it's so enjoyable because in my nearest region i really don't have many people who i can talk to about this on this level well no it's an absolute pleasure thank you for inviting me back i mean you you're a, a very dear friend to me and um you've always been a great supporter and and a, a good friend we text pretty much every day so yeah. it's it's an absolute joy to to come on your show whenever you want and it's it's also a real joy for me to not have to worry about editing this so. yeah i have to but i think i will have fun editing this and by the way listeners we we agreed before we started recording lassa said uh, sort of like i think we can get this done in like an hour and a half and i, I said no we can get it done in an hour and I'm just looking at the recording now. We're coming up to nearly two hours and fifteen minutes. Yeah, so. it's, it's, uh, I think this. So getting us together in the same room talking about film music is never a good. No, idea. It, I think this is longer than our last episode. Now I. I think it is, and I do apologize. I'm sorry. <laughs> no problem. No problem. I have uh, more than enough time to edit this, and it will it it will not be too complicated. I, it will it will be a pleasure and. Uh, uh, but yeah, but before we say goodbye and thank you again for the millionth time, um, plug yourself. Where can people find you and your stuff? Uh, well, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna plug myself because I'm quite boring. No, you're um, not. I am on Twitter. I am on Twitter, but it, it's really not worth anyone's time. It's um, Ian Crab, which is uh, E Y U N C R A B B. But the main thing I want to plug is uh, SideshowSoundTheatre.com. Um, because we've just come back with a new flagship show. It's been off the air for quite a while because we were just sort of figuring out sort of like what to do with it. And I've stepped away from all the other big shows. I'm just doing the interviews right now, uh, which, you, again, you can find on the website and on iTunes. You can find all our shows for free on the website or iTunes. But um, the flagship show, Sideshow um, Side Sound Radio, just came back um, yesterday with a brand new team behind it a brand new format and i think it's brilliant so everyone please go and check that out oh yeah you really should if for for soundtrack fans it's the ultimate show to go to i have also been a part of several episodes and i will also be in the future i'm pretty sure <laughs> 
Yes, you will. Absolutely. Yeah, you know, you you can't get out of it no, now. <laughs> I, I I bound my contract for eternity. Yeah. <laughs> you signed a deal with the devil. With a with 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 a devil with great musical taste. <laughs> but no, sideshowsoundtheatre.com Please go there to the website or look us up on iTunes. Uh, I don't know. Give us a rating. Give us a review. You can always get in touch with us. It's sideshowsound at gmail.com uh, Just yeah, just get in touch because we love to hear from people. We love to hear from new listeners. And as I said, I'm really proud of this new flagship show. The new team behind it, um, Megan and Jennifer, have done an absolutely wonderful job with it. So please go and listen to it. And it's all about the music of the DCU. So... Uh, so you may be interested. That that includes like Man of Steel, Batman versus Superman, stuff like that. You know. Yeah. So please go and 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 check it out and give them a, your support because they deserve it. They worked really hard. I know for months on this. So yeah, check that. Oh out. yeah, it's amazing, people. Check it out, please. You can find me now. My uh, my podcast is now uh, available also on iTunes and on SoundCloud. Just when you type in "fans about films podcast," you will find it there. And um, you can find my videos and film reviews on YouTube. Um, you can find my German soundtrack reviews um, on. Uh, scoregeek.wordpress.com I do a lot of things. Currently I'm working on the Avengers Infinity War soundtrack, which is almost two hours long, so it took me quite a while to get through it. I'm still struggling to get through it. Not because the music's bad, it's just the sheer length of it. And um, I will I will have <laughs> I will have to say That officially means I'm longer than the Avengers soundtrack. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> So, um, yeah, I will have a lot to say about that one. Um, uh, th thanks again for listening. Um, uh, you can Now you know where you can find us, and it won't be the last time we will uh, do a crossover together, whereas some other things planned for the future, as I said. Oh, absolutely, yes. And you will be a guest on Sideshow very, very soon, I promise. Oh, yeah. Thank you so much. So, thank you. Uh, thank you so much for your time. No, thank you. Thank you for inviting me, and thank you for giving up more than twice the amount of time we agreed on. <laughs> Appreciate it. That's a, that's a privilege of having just too much free time. But what what can you do? Yeah, at least at least <laughs> you you don't have any more work to do with this one, so you can focus on your own show. <laughs> yeah, I've I've got uh, about four edits in the work at the moment. Um, oh, that's pretty uh... pretty cool interviews. Um, a couple of them I can I can mention now. One of them I can't because I don't like to mention them until they're actually in the can. But, yeah, um, they're all pretty big. Uh, Jeff Russo, um, who's the composer of Legion and Lucifer and many many other shows. Um, we've also got uh, Jared Faber, who's the composer of pretty much every sitcom you've ever heard of, like The Office and Parks and Recreation, and the new show Splitting Up Together. Um, He's brilliant, and most recently uh, recorded with uh, Christopher Lennertz, who has just done the recent Netflix incarnation of Lost in Space, which, for my money, might be one of my top scores of 2018. That one I'm I'm most excited about because I love Leonard's work. I love it so much, so I can't wait to listen to that interview. Oh, and also coming up soon is uh, Kevin Kiner, obviously. As oh yeah. Well. Um, 
composer of Star Wars Clone Wars, uh, Star Wars Rebels. Um, there's lots of juicy tidbits in there about working with George Lucas, getting into the Star Wars universe and that. So so there's, there's like four shows coming up. Uh, I've just booked two more, but I, I, as I said, I'm paranoid, so I don't want to say anything about them until I've actually recorded them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, understandable, totally. So yeah, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, dear listeners. And we both say now, goodbye. Bye-bye.